son becomes the father. And the father becomes the son. Every man at some point in his life is going to lose a battle. He's going to fight and he's going to lose. But what makes him a man is that in the midst of that battle, he does not lose himself. Sometimes you feel like an outcast. But you'll never be alone. Nobody does anything without help, Will. People open doors for me, and I worked hard to open doors for you. It doesn't make you any less of a man to walk through them. Hi, I'm Jim Colson. This is the Dadless Soul Sessions. And this month we're talking to David Mullings. He's the founder of Father Figure. It's an organisation that advocates for dads, supports them in court and aims to support families by giving that support to dads that it says they don't get elsewhere. And he's also made this documentary. It's called Five Black Fathers. And he found sort of stereotypes of dads in general and then because kind of the new cycle when he was doing it, it was not long after George Floyd and all that, he, he particularly focused in on black fathers and, uh, and their struggles and their stories as well, which is absolutely fascinating. So he talks a lot about that. Uh, we talk about all sorts of things related to dads and how they're seen in the media and how they're seen by other people and what support they need. Also a lot about race as well, including his definition of white privilege, which contains one of the best explanations of that because it's a very tricky subject that gets people hot under the collar but it's a great explanation so have a listen out for that uh we wanted to talk to brian rossi anderson as well who's one of the dads he features in the documentary unfortunately uh he was in italy and his connection wasn't very good so you might hear us refer to the technical problems that we'd been having throughout this podcast but it's a really good listen so make sure you uh, give yourself half an hour now have a brew and listen to david mullings he starts off talking about his documentary five black fathers um is a documentary i single-handedly put together using all the skills i've um picked up over the years um and and essentially focuses on the stories of um five uh, black fathers um one being um the first story that we feature is actually brian's story which is a mixed race parenting um, the second story is um, No Contact, which is a father who has no contact with his child and is pursuing that through the family courts. The third story is that of a father whose son was murdered on the way from school, gone forever. The fourth story is a father who had bat battled through the family courts, um, regained contact, moved to be close to his children. Um, however, the situation reoccurred and he decided to walk away. So that one's called Walking Away. And the fifth story is that of a father, uh, it's called Stereotype. He's a, a father who has four children for three, three women. Um, and yeah, essentially, you know, the, 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 what led to me putting it together was not, I mean, I work with fathers, I've worked with fathers for roughly 16 years now. And by no account is it just only black fathers I've worked with. I've worked with all different cultures, colours, races um there was a few things that happened um that that led to me making a documentary specifically about black fathers and that was that 
some of the work I do for one particular local authority, um, they were celebrating 40 years of their black workers group and they wanted me to contribute to that. And I decided that was something that contributed to, to, to me deciding to do focus on black fathers. But also I just think where we're at in the world um, with the George Floyd incident that had happened not too long before that, um, I felt that it was probably good timing to, to focus on um, black fathers. And that said, before you, you know, just to finish to say that the, the, the situations are not unique to black fathers by any chance. Um, but I felt that it was in, it was important. Um, as I said, given the current situation that we were in the current state of the world, the, the current understanding that there's definitely a, uh, an unlevel playing field that I would focus on these stories. Did it take yeah. a lot of persuading to get people to tell their stories on the... Uh... It wasn't difficult to get these fathers to share their experiences. Um, these were all fathers and men that I have a connection with in, in different ways, whether it's through friendship, whether it's through my professional work I've done with them. Um, and I, I believe that a trust had been built that with them over that time. And, it, and and so I think it helped enormously with these guys being really honest and candid. And I, and I was really um, humbled and blessed really for them to trust me, an unknown entity with regards to putting together a documentary, a film with their stories really. And, you know, especially that these are live situations for these guys, you know, they're, 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 they're not stories that had been put to bed. These are real life current situations. So, you know, I'm forever grateful to Brian and the rest of the guys for trusting me with their stories. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? When we think of making films or we make any kind of content, it it kind of fits into this sort of neat box. Uh, and, you know, there's a beginning, a middle and an end, and that's how it works. But actually, as you say, you know, these are ongoing situations. These are people's stories. And is, is, is there therefore a chance to kind of catch up with them you know, in a few years' time to see what's happened there. It's funny you say that. Literally just today, um, when giving thought to the fact that I was coming on here to speak, it, it did cross my mind about a, you know, a part two. Um, because there has, you know, for, for, you know, for one particular story, there's been great movement, um, you know, um, around the, the, the story around contact, for example, that that's, you know, come to a great place. So, yes, I think it is potentially something um, I will look at doing in the future, for sure. Do you mind if we have a look at the trailer? I can, we've got the trailer here. Can we show it and then give people an idea of what the film's sort of about? Is that right? Absolutely, yep. My name's David Mullins, and for 15 years I've been working and engaging with fathers. For far too long we've been told by the mainstream media who and what black fathers are. Given the current climate, technology and access that we have to social media, I decided enough was enough. Before taking a well-deserved break, I spent the summer of 2021 travelling around the UK speaking to black fathers and hearing their stories so that I could define and redefine just who black fathers are. The first thing has got to be about how she sees herself. And if you can't do that child's hair, you better find someone that can. Irrespective of what you do, you can never take that from me. I'm that child's father. When you start to miss someone, mm. you know what I mean? And then the realisation comes in, but they're not coming back. 
He said, you've done everything a dad can do for the children. You've moved house, you've been near them, you've seen you with them, and you're great dad. You fought for them in the courts. They're teenagers now. Go and live your life. With the younger ones, uh, we're working to, to get it to 50-50. It's about 60-40, and then with their mums uh, versus them here. Black is the color of my skin, there ain't nothing like my melanin. So uh, you talked in there about the view of sort of black fathers in the mainstream media. And mm. has that at all changed? Is that changing? Are there signs that it's changing? Or do you think that we're still sort of stuck in a place where we were? I think people would say there were changes because we see black men on adverts now. But I think, as I say in the actual documentary, I think that's capitalism personally um we don't see black fathers we don't see black families um they're not they're they're, they're non-existent um even when we think about celebrities who are not the only parents out there i mean just name me one black celebrity that you've seen with his family with you've seen that you've seen him in the media with his wife with his children so uh, for me actually you know i don't think um, I see capitalism taking place. I see black black men on adverts um, to help sell products that companies are now realizing. Wow! If we, um, uh, you know, I think the perfect example would be the Black Panther um, franchise. You know, the, the the movie industry realized, wow, we we put out our own black movie here, and it's broken all records. This is what can happen if we actually sell market to black folk. Um, but I've I've bought things um you know cars clothes that i've never seen advertised by black people all my life and so you know i i see capitalism i see people saying okay i see companies saying we can we, we've got we could tap into this market a bit more but i don't see the the, the mainstream media doing anything that resembles a, a, a real shift personally that's my opinion people may disagree but i i don't think there's a shift okay let's see if we can talk to brian brian um what do you think about that do you do you see any of that do you agree with david oh he's still stuck he's still frozen he comes, there. He comes in and out he seems to come in when you're not talking to him and then yeah. as as <laughs> once again so i have that effect on people you know they just, <laughs> when i talk to them they're like no <laughs> so this i mean i guess this is kind of um, blackwashing, I guess, is what you, you know, you, you're talking about. This is, do you think this is people going? Well, hmm, diversity is a new thing. Uh, let's let's jump on that and put it in. And I mean, is there a, are there kind of real structural changes that can be made and should be being made? Do you think? Yeah, and like, look, I don't want to. I don't want to say that it's all disingenuous, and and and, and that, you know, it's all all about cap, all about trying to capitalize. I think that. Um, companies, organisations need to start somewhere, and there is that that um, the potential for it to just be seen very cynically and not being, you know, in the way I've described it. Um, I think that companies and organisations um, really um, can demonstrate a, a genuine change um, through changing their structures through changing their senior managements that 
are not whitewashed and, and don't have people. And it's really important. Um, I run my organisation, but I work part-time for a local authority as well. And um, prior to changing my role more recently, I was asked to sit on some um, some interview panels. Um, and it suddenly became... Um, so it, I suddenly realised how important it is to have diversity. Um, your lived your lived experience is very different to mine. All right, mm-hmm. and that's not your fault. Um, I've come to a place where I I understand that I need to be more, and 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 some would disagree, I'm sure, but I feel like I need to be a lot more patient with um, individuals, organisations who haven't been getting it right um and and support them to make a change and if obviously if i can see that they are willing and are trying then that's great but you know the way i kind of the way i speak to it is you don't know a privilege until you've lost it right so i've got all my toes i have 10 toes i have 10 things you know fingers of or eight fingers and two thumbs and i know i don't know what it's like to not have a thumb Right. And I probably take this thumb for granted. My big toe, the amount of balance it gives me. I, I probably take that for granted. If I lost that, I would have an understanding of how important it is. And if you don't live and walk in the shoes of a black man, I think it can be difficult, understandably, to really understand. Because as I said, none of those situations that I have that you've just seen are unique to to black fathers, not even stereotype. Because there's a stereotype of fathers out there that exist. And the way I the way I talk about it when we talk about black fathers is I say, well, you can add some jerk sauce, some hot pepper sauce to it when it's my situation, because there's a few more layers on top of it. So if you're going through a situation where you can't see your child and there's no contact which I have a lot of experience with because I'm a McKenzie friend and I'm in court almost every week. Um, that's tough. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a process in place that is, you know, it's not insurmountable by any chance, um, but it's definitely weighted towards the mother. It's not insurmountable. I have a 100% success rate in the nine years that I've been going to court. Every client I've worked with has regained contact with their child. All right, so it's not a, it's not a process that doesn't work. It does work, um, but it's difficult. And if you're a black man going into that situation, you've got a few more potential hurdles, because for many times in my life, I've been called aggressive. When if maybe you displayed the same behaviour, you might have been described as passionate and loving and caring about your child, but I've been described as as as, as um, aggressive so when I go into court especially with my black clients I have to be really conscious with them and speak to them about how they conduct themselves in there because if they talk out of turn if they hear their ex saying something that's just not true and you're naturally actually say hold on a minute I didn't, which is, which we know anyway is not how it should go you, you speak when you're spoken to in that situation but it can be a natural reaction to kind of want to say hold on that that's a lie if that other person is accusing you of being abusive, well, actually, to those three magistrates or that judge, you might just fit the profile of what has been written on paper. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think that 
if organizations are genuine with their desire to to make change and you know <laughs> it took eight minutes and 46 seconds and i don't think that's quite correct i think it's a bit more but it took eight minutes and 46 seconds with the world sitting still not watching any football um not going to any matches not watching any movies not going to work one thing we were all watching was the news and it took those that perfect storm of events for the world to stand up and notice that the le- the playing field isn't level something i've known all my life by the way um and again i don't i make no judgment because how do you how do you know what a privilege is if you've never lost it there is a privilege in being white and people don't like to hear that but it's a fact and I, and I know that can be difficult when you're white and middle class like me, where you are working every day to make ends meet. And you're thinking, well, hold on a minute, I don't get any privilege. Um, but there is a privilege. Um, there's a privilege when you might walk into a shop and people don't assume that you are going to steal. Um, and that's just a basic one. Um, there's a privilege that maybe when you are, as I said already, when you're a bit passionate about a situation, um, that you're, you're, you're seen as passionate. You're seen as caring for your child as opposed to being aggressive. Um, so it, it's, an, it's, it's, it take, it's conversations like this that we have to have. That it, it, it requires patience. I cannot expect people who live in a certain part of the country or a certain part of the world who haven't encountered people who look like me, but what they have seen in the media, for example, if we look at Raheem Sterling, you know, we've seen so much negative things about him in the media. Um, gun tattoos, you know, on his. Um, there's been allegations of how many children he's got, which is which haven't been true. Um, but he's had to continue. He's had bottles and objects thrown at him when he scored goals for England. Um, you know, there's these nuances which, if you've not lived them, it's difficult for you to have an understanding of what it feels like to to when someone treats you a certain way for you to have to consider is this person just being an asshole or are they actually being discriminative um and and you know i don't worry about the guy who might want to call me the n-word he's not of concern to me i want to give him a hug and educate him a bit i'm more worried about um, um structures that are in place that will stop me reaching as high as I potentially should and could. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's an, on the footballer theme, there's an interesting one, wasn't there, that um, when Marcus Rashford bought property, he was greedily buying up mansions. And when Phil Foden did it, he was being a good boy looking after his mum. And it's, Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's really stark when you see those headlines next to each other, which is essentially the same story. There's just one difference, and yeah. and that's that is difficult. And it, yeah, and I understand what you're saying. the The concept of, of privilege is one that some people find very difficult, which I guess is because I guess no one wants to think that they have the upper hand or they have the yeah. advantage. Yeah, and it I mean, people get very defensive about it, don't they? Have you have you ever found that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and again, I just try to be really patient and try to make these comparisons in the same way we have just now. 
and, and have a conversation about it because there's no point us, um, you know, arguing um, or, or, or being aggressive and hateful to each other. Um, these are just things that might be hard for you to understand because you, you've not had that lived experience. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, as I said, things like this help, conversations like this help. Um, and, yeah, we just have a responsibility to, 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 to you know, to be open and, listen, and to be willing to listen to each other. Because just because I have that opinion and that view, it doesn't mean I don't want to hear the view of someone who has the opposite view to me. I, in the same way, I would want them to exercise some patience um, and understanding. I, I, I'd, I'd want to give them the same um, opportunity to express why they feel that what I'm saying isn't correct or right. That's an interesting one as well, isn't it? Because um, this, you know, this is whole cancel culture thing, which mm. is is interesting and you know there's some people when people say horrific things it's very difficult to think well you know let's find out why they think that and it, it's very easy to say oh let's just ignore them uh, but quite often when you engage with those people you can dig a bit deeper and you can logically defeat their argument I, the the thing i'm thinking of essentially is a long time ago and nick griffin uh, of the BMP yeah. was invited onto Question Time. And they, you know, there was a Ferrari. It's like, you shouldn't give him a platform. You shouldn't be able to say anything. But actually, if they banned him from that, that would have had a lot more power for him than him going on it because he went on it and he looked like a bit of an idiot. Yeah, and absolutely. It really diminished his argument. So, yeah, I guess engaging, and, and you, you know, you say you like to engage in those conversations or you, you don't mind doing that. That's kind of got to be the way forward, right? Isn't it engaging rather than surely just blocking people, do you think? Yeah, we, we, we have to because, people, as I said, we have got li different lived experiences. Um, you know, I, I was stopped about 17 times in my first year of driving. Um searched on some of some occasions not searched on others i don't have a conviction i don't have any driving convictions i never got one for any of the stops i was never arrested at any of those stops and i've got white colleagues and, and friends who've never been stopped by the police you know and so it's important that i share those experiences i've been arrested and de-arrested either four or five times so i'm talking about arrested read my rights put in handcuffs and taken out of handcuffs. Who even did you even know that you could be de-arrested, right? <laughs> did you even know you could be de-arrested? Well, that's happened to me four. That's happened to me four times at least, possibly five, but it's happened to me four times, right? So we have to be willing to share some of these and have some of these conversations, as I said. And um, and you know, some would say it's not incumbent upon me to be patient with people who might be perceived as ignorant. But how else will how else will they learn? If I'm not going to be willing to have that um, conversation, who who will? And it, and, it, and and how will it happen? Um, you know, you you had the gentleman who's um, I, I, his name eludes me at the moment, but we actually I we actually gave him him an, an award actually. But the gentleman there's a there's a picture of when the BM, BLM marches were taking place, and there was this this guy who was being racist and was he was attacked essentially and he was taken out of the crowd by a black guy over his shoulder 
And you know, you know, some people there's varying opinions on, you know, should he even have helped him? But he was being human, which is what we are before this construct of a race was created. We are just all human. You know, we are all humans in this on, on this planet, um, looking for the same things ultimately. We've got way more in common than we don't. But there's just been a lot of things that have happened. Um you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm the child of an immigrant. I'm a, I'm the child of Jamaican parents, and you know, my 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 history is horrific. I have trauma running through my DNA, which, you know, I have to learn how to control and manage. I mm. I am the descendant of slaves who were, um, you know, went through all types of of stuff, and and when that doesn't get acknowledged by the country that you live in um <laughs> these things make for people to be quite want to be quite less patient as the as what i am ex describing here you know when you live in a country that doesn't want to acknowledge the most horrific event to happen to humans it just wasn't filmed and wasn't televised um no apologies no reparations i mean i stopped paying the tax of slave owners in 2017, I believe. So mm. I stopped paying money to the people who enslaved my people. I stopped paying their taxes that they got for stopping the horrific thing that they were doing. But there's been no reparation given to my descendants. Well, that's the, the fascinating thing, isn't it? Because they, you know, the, there's the big thing about the abolition of slavery, but it was you know, it was on the condition that the public purse paid out so much for for the people that these people owned. And when you look into it, you just think it's so dehumanising. It's scary. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and, and so, the, again, it, it speaks to the documentary. This, this, this you know, it, it, as I said, it's not to diminish... Um, the, the plight and the difficulties that fathers face, because my organisation was never set up to just support black fathers, and it doesn't. I was in court last week. I had two cases, one three-day and one two-day. You know, my client on, on the three-day hearing was a, a white British man, and my client for the two-day hearing was a Czech um, from the Czech Republic, you know. Um, but it's part of the work that I do, and I, I guess I have... Um, an extra insight that gives me an ability to maybe do that extra piece of work that someone else might find a bit more difficult, a bit more challenging or not understand as much. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the reaction been like to the documentary? Oh, it's been phenomenal. I mean, I haven't, the documentary's only been screened um, at private screenings. Um, I haven't put it out publicly, which it's a bit of a double-edged sword for me because I want people to see the documentary but I also need to kind of uh, protect it in a way so that I can use it to educate uh, people. Everybody has, who's watched it. Um, it I, I mean, look, I, I sat here, right? Here, I'm in my back garden in my office. Um, and I sat here for a few months, a couple of months, making that documentary, editing it. And I had a night where I had imposter syndrome. <laughs> and I, I just had to leave this exact chair, this exact desk and these exact screens in front of me now saying, who the hell do you think you are making this documentary? Who do you think you are telling, talking about this? And, and actually, is anyone even interested? Um, and I also had another um, 
thing situation where I sat here when I started to put some of the background music to some of the um the 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 the, the documentary and I just tears came to my eyes because it it suddenly um hit me that it potentially was quite impactful. But I guess the biggest um impact I had it had on me on the first night I screened it for my I, I did a screening for my birthday um December the 28th last year and I had a hundred invited guests friends and family um and when the when it finished I got a standing ovation and that's when it hit me that it was actually quite impactful so it you know everybody who sit who's seen it has, has said it they feel like you know it's definitely TV worthy um, and got the quality of someone that could be on TV. So let's see where it goes. Because I think that, you know, not about me, but about the stories, about the learning that can come from watching these black guys, these five black men, be vulnerable, be honest, be caring, be loving, be concerning, and be all the emotions that we've, we're not really shown. Um, which is just the emotions that we all have. So just to humanise these guys, I think is really important. So, so for me, I would like it to be seen more. Uh, and let's, you know, let's see, let's see where that goes. I haven't, if I'm honest, I, I'm, I'm doing so much work, different pieces of work. I don't have, I've probably not given it the amount of time um, to, that I probably should have to maybe get it out to a wider audience. But yeah, I, I, the feedback's been phenomenal. Um, I've done feedback forms, literally not had any kind of negative comments. And these are from, you know, these are not all my friends and family. And I'm, and I'm someone who can take the truth because I damn well give it. So I can really, I, I really can take it. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's, the feedback's been really positive. That doesn't always work though, does it? <laughs> it's not always the people who give the truth that can take the truth. <laughs> I know, for sure. <laughs> if it helps i can't give the truth or take the truth i can't do either so um, i just i'm a people pleaser um but now we all know that by the way that david's birthday is the 28th of december but everyone note it down right <laughs> you'll get loads of cards um do you think you kind of you've learned anything uh while you've been making the documentary is it, is it did it anything that surprised you that you learned from it do you know when I made the, when I started making the documentary, it didn't occur to me. Something I've already said that black fathers were so non-existent. It really didn't occur to me until I started to think about a black celebrity that I've seen with his family in the media. So, if we talk about the black celebrities, we see Idris Elba, we see Ian Wright on TV. Um, I don't know. I thought you can name. I don't know if you can name any more, but I haven't seen these guys fully fledged with their families. I don't see them. And if we talk specifically about maybe a black father who's got a black partner as well, definitely not. So I that was something that it was when I was making the trailer because the trailer, by the way, never the first trailer I made looked nothing like that. Um, Kim Murphy, who is one of the fathers who is the story walking away Kamafi's a he's actually an editor he's edited things for mainstream tv um things that everyone watching would have watched and um one of the things i didn't want to do is i wanted nobody's fingerprints 
on this documentary. I have got friends in the field, as I said, Kamafi, and other people, people who film. But I wanted to do it all on my own. So one of the other things I learned about was art. You hear people talk about the arts. Oh, the arts are really important. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, the arts, the arts, okay, whatever. <laughs> but I have an appreciation for art, for artery, artery, you know, art, artistry. It's my piece of art. And I didn't care whether it was perfect or not. I just wanted it to be my piece. So I learned about art, I think, a bit more. Um, but as I said, I learned about the fact that we, we're really not seen much. Um, I learned that these men who shared their story were brave. They were really brave. You've got us. You listen. Look, look right here now. You've got Mikhail Rashid. I'm sitting here with my daughter now. Testimony to the work that you did. That's why I took part. That was so brave of Mikhail to trust me. He was in the middle of court proceedings. He was in the middle of court proceedings when we made that documentary. And I had to also be careful with that. You know, these guys, we're only hearing 10 minutes of them, 10, 12 minutes. We, you know, most of these interviews were at least an hour. And I've had to whittle them down to 10 minutes and give you the story, but not compromise them at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it just, you know, look, I've been doing this work for 16 years. So what it wasn't, whilst none of it was new to me, I think it made me just, it probably helped me to reflect on what the impact that I've probably, that the work has had, that organisations like yours and others are having on families, on children, on our wider society, because, you know, um, and just how important it really is. It, it, I think it just gave me a, it renewed my, um, I think a couple of years ago, I was considering changing my career and and maybe looking at something that would be more lucrative to me and my family because yeah, I've, I've made a lot of sacrifices following my passion for 16 years and, and my family you know they 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 are part of what I, whatever successes or, or failures that that take part so I think it got something it found um, love as well for the work and passion I should say for the work that I do with, with fathers, families. So that's David Mullings of Father Figure, and you can find out more about them, fatherfigure.org.uk. This is the Dadless Soul Sessions. We'll be back next month with another live stream that we do on the last Thursday of the month, and then it comes out as a podcast, which you're listening to right now. So thank you very much for listening, and make sure you go to dadlessoul.com for any more information about what we do.